appendix a of the life of samuel johnson volume one by james boswell this librivox recording is in the public domain johnson's debates in parliament the publication of the debates in the gentleman's magazine began in july seventeen thirty two the names of the speakers were not printed in full sir robert walpole was disguised if a disguise it can be called as sir r blank blank t w blank blank l e and mr pelham as mr p blank l h blank m otherwise the report was open and avowed during the first few years however it often happened that no attempt was made to preserve the individuality of the members thus in a debate on the number of seamen gentlemen's magazine volume five page five o seven the speeches of the eight chief speakers were so combined as to form but three first come the arguments made use of for thirty thousand men next an answer to the following effect and lastly a reply that was in substance as follows each of these three speeches is in the first person though each is formed of the arguments of two members at least perhaps of many in the report of a two days debate in seventeen thirty seven in which there were fourteen chief speakers the substance of thirteen of the speeches was given in three ibid in july seventeen thirty six we find the beginning of a great change to satisfy the impatience of his readers the publisher promises to give them occasionally some entire speeches he prints one which likely enough had been sent to him by the member who had spoken it and adds that he shall be grateful for any authentic intelligence in matters of such importance and tenderness as the speeches in parliament cave in his examination before the house of lords on april the thirtieth seventeen forty seven on a charge of having printed in the gentleman's magazine an account of the trial of lord lovett owned that he had had speeches sent him by the members themselves and had had assistance from some members who have taken notes of other members speeches parliamentary history volume fourteen page sixty it was chiefly in the numbers of the magazine for the latter half of each year that the publication took place the parliamentary recess was the busy time for reporters and printers it was commonly believed that the resolution on the journals of the house of commons against publishing any of its proceedings was only in force while parliament was sitting but on april thirteenth seventeen thirty eight it was unanimously resolved that it is a high indignity to and a notorious breach of the privilege of this house to give any account of the debates as well during the recess as the sitting of parliament parliamentary history volume ten page eight twelve it was admitted that this privilege expired at the end of every parliament when the dissolution had come every one might publish what he pleased with the house of lords it was far otherwise for 
it is a court of record and as such its rights and privileges never die it may punish a printer for printing any part of its proceedings for thirty or forty years back ibid page eight hundred and seven mr winnington when speaking to this resolution of april thirteenth said that if they did not put a speedy stop to this practice of recording they will have every word that is spoken here by gentlemen misrepresented by fellows who thrust themselves into our gallery ibid page eight o six walpole complained that he had been made to speak the very reverse of what he meant he had read debates wherein all the wit the learning and the argument had been thrown into one side and on the other nothing but what was low mean and ridiculous ibid page eight o nine later on johnson in his reports saved appearances tolerably well but took care that the wee dogs should not have the best of it murphy's johnson page forty five it was but a few days after he became a contributor to the magazine that this resolution was passed parliament rose on may the twentieth and in the june number the reports of the debates of the senate of lilliput began to his fertile mind was very likely due this humorous expedient by which the resolution of the house was mocked that he wrote the introduction in which is narrated the voyage of captain gulliver's grandson to lilliputia can scarcely be doubted it bears all the marks of his early style the lords become hergos and the commons clinabs walpole becomes wallalop pulteney polnub and pitt ptit otherwise the report is much as it had been at the end of the volume for seventeen thirty nine was given a key to all the names the london magazine had boldly taken the lead in the main number which was published at the close of the month and therefore after parliament had risen began the report of the proceedings and debates of a political and learned club of young noblemen and gentlemen who hoped one day to enter parliament and who therefore the better to qualify themselves for their high position only debated questions that were there discussed to the speakers were given the names of the ancient greeks and romans thus we find the honourable marcus cato and the right honourable marcus tullius cicero by the key that was published in seventeen forty two cicero was seen to be walpole and cato pulteney what risks the publishers and writers ran was very soon shown in december seventeen forty the ministers proposed to lay an embargo on various articles of food as the members entered the house a printed paper was handed to each entitled considerations upon the embargo adam smith had just gone up as a young student to the university of oxford there are considerations suggested in this paper which the great authority of the author of the wealth of nations has not yet made pass current as truths 
The paper contained, moreover, charges of jobbery against great men, though no one was named. It was at once voted a malicious and scandalous libel, and the author, William Cooley, a scrivener, was committed to Newgate. With him was sent the printer of the Daily Post, in which part of the considerations had been published. After seven weeks' imprisonment in the depth of winter in that miserable den, without sufficient sustenance to support life, Cooley was discharged on paying his fees. He was, in knowledge, more than a hundred years before his time, and had been made to suffer accordingly. The printer would have been discharged also, but the fees were more than he could pay. Two months later he petitioned for mercy. The fees by that time were one hundred and twenty-one pounds. His petition was not received, and he was kept in prison till the close of the session. Parliamentary History Such were the risks run by Cave and Johnson and their fellow workers. That no prosecution followed was due, perhaps, to that dread of ridicule which has often tempered the severity of the law. The Hurligan Branard, who in the former session was Praetor of Mildendo, might well have been unwilling to prove that he was Sir John Barnard, late Lord Mayor of London. Johnson, it should seem, revised some of the earliest debates. In a letter to Cave, which cannot have been written later than September 1738, he mentions the alterations that he had made. The more they were written by him, the less authentic did they become, for he was not one of those fellows who thrust themselves into the gallery of the house. His employer, Cave, if we can trust his own evidence, had been in the habit of going there and taking notes with a pencil. Parliamentary history. But Johnson, Hawkins says, Life, page 122, never was within the walls of either house. According to Murphy, Life, page 44, he had been inside the House of Commons once. Be this as it may, in the end, the debates were composed by him alone. From that time they must no longer be looked upon as authentic records, in spite of the assertions of the editor of the parliamentary history. Johnson told Boswell that sometimes he had nothing more communicated to him than the names of the several speakers and the part which they had taken in the debate. Sometimes he had scanty notes furnished by persons employed to attend in both Houses of Parliament. Often his debates were written from no materials at all, the mere coinage of his own imagination. He never wrote any part of his works with equal velocity. Three columns of the magazine in an hour was no uncommon effort, which was faster than most persons could have transcribed that quantity. According to Hawkins, Life, page 99, his practice was to shut himself up in a room assigned to him at St. John's Gate, 
to which he would not suffer any one to approach except the compositor or cave's boy for matter which as fast as he composed it he tumbled out at the door from murphy we get the following curious story that johnson was the author of the debates during that period in square brackets november seventeen forty to february seventeen forty three was not generally known but the secret transpired several years afterwards and was avowed by himself on the following occasion mr wedderburn now lord loughborough dr johnson dr francis the translator of horace the present writer and others dined with the late mr foote an important debate towards the end of sir robert walpole's administration being mentioned dr francis observed that mr pitt's speech on that occasion was the best he had ever read he added that he had employed eight years of his life in the study of demosthenes and finished a translation of that celebrated orator with all the decorations of style and language within the reach of his capacity but he had met with nothing equal to the speech above mentioned many of the company remembered the debate and some passages were cited with the approbation and applause of all present during the ardour of conversation johnson remained silent as soon as the warmth of praise subsided he opened with these words that speech i wrote in a garret in exeter street the company was struck with astonishment after staring at each other in silent amaze dr francis asked how that speech could be written by him sir said johnson i wrote it in exeter street i never had been in the gallery of the house of commons but once cave had interest with the doorkeepers he and the persons employed under him gained admittance they brought away the subject of discussion the names of the speakers the side they took and the order in which they rose together with notes of the arguments advanced in the course of the debate the whole was afterwards communicated to me and i composed the speeches in the form which they now have in the parliamentary debates to this discovery dr francis made answer then sir you have exceeded demosthenes himself for to say that you have exceeded francis's demosthenes will be saying nothing the rest of the company bestowed lavish encomiums on johnson one in particular praised his impartiality observing that he dealt out reason and eloquence with an equal hand to both parties that is not quite true said johnson i saved appearances tolerably well but i took care that the wig dogs should not have the best of it murphy's life of johnson page three four three murphy we must not forget wrote from memory for there is no reason to think that he kept notes that his memory cannot altogether be trusted has been shown by boswell ante page three nine one note four this dinner with foot must have taken place at least nineteen years 
before this account was published for so many years had dr francis been dead at the time when johnson was living in exeter street he was not engaged on the magazine nevertheless the main facts may be true enough johnson himself told boswell that in lord chesterfield's miscellaneous works there were two speeches ascribed to chesterfield which he had himself entirely written horace walpole letters complained that the published report of his own first speech did not contain one sentence of the true one johnson in his preface to the literary magazine of seventeen fifty six seems to confess what he had done unless indeed he was altogether making himself the mere mouthpiece of the publisher he says we shall not attempt to give any regular series of debates or to amuse our readers with senatorial rhetoric the speeches inserted in other papers have been long known to be fictitious and produced sometimes by men who never heard the debate nor had any authentic information we have no design to impose thus grossly on our readers works volume five page three six three the secret that johnson wrote these debates was indeed well kept he seems to be aimed at in a question that was put to cave in his examination before the house of lords in seventeen forty seven being asked if he ever had any person whom he kept in pay to make speeches for him he said he never had parliamentary history herein he lied in order no doubt to screen johnson forty-four years later horace walpole wrote letters i never knew johnson wrote the speeches in the gentleman's magazine till he died johnson told boswell that as soon as he had found out that they were thought genuine he determined that he would write no more of them for he would not be accessory to the propagation of falsehood one of his debates was translated into french german and the spanish gentleman's magazine and no doubt was accepted abroad as authentic when he learnt this his conscience might well have received a shock that it did receive a shock seems almost capable of proof it was in the number of the magazine for february seventeen forty three at the beginning of march that is to say that the fact of these foreign translations was made known the last debate that johnson wrote was for the twenty-second day of february in that year in seventeen forty seventeen forty one and seventeen forty two he had worked steadily at his debates the beginning of seventeen forty three found him no less busy his task suddenly came to an end among foreign nations his speeches were read as the very words of english statesmen to the propagation of such a falsehood as this he would no longer be accessory fifteen years later smollett quoted them as if they were genuine history of england volume three page seventy three here however johnson's conscience was void of offence for he had cautioned him not to rely on them for that they were not authentic hawkins life 
they should generally have passed current shows how unacquainted people at that time were with real debating. Even if we had not Johnson's own statement, both from external and internal evidence, we could have known that they were for the most part the mere coinage of his imagination. They do not read like speeches that had ever been spoken. None of them, Mr. Flood said, were at all like real debates. They are commonly formed of general statements which suit any one speaker just as well as any other. The scantier were the notes that were given him by those who had heard the debate, the more he had to draw on his imagination. But his was an imagination which supplied him with what was general much more readily than with what was particular. Had Defoe been the composer, he would have scattered over each speech the most ingenious and probable matters of detail. But Defoe and Johnson were wide as the poles asunder. Neither had Johnson any dramatic power. His parliamentary speakers had scarcely more variety than the characters in Irene. Unless he had been a constant frequenter of the galleries of the two houses, he could not have acquired any knowledge of the style and the peculiarities of the different members. Nay, even of their modes of thinking and their sentiments, he could have gained but the most general notions. Of debating, he knew nothing. It was the set speeches in Livy and the old historians that he took as his models. In his orations there is very little of the tart reply. There is indeed scarcely any examination of an adversary's arguments. So general are the speeches that the order in which they are given might very often, without inconvenience, be changed. They are like a series of leading articles on both sides of the question, but all written by one man. Johnson is constantly shifting his character, and, like Falstaff and the Prince, playing first his own part and then his opponent's. It is wonderful how well he preserves his impartiality, though he does take care that the Whig dogs should not have the best of it. He not only took the greatest liberties in his reports, but he often took them openly. Thus an army bill was debated in committee on December the 10th, 1740, and again the following day on the report in the full house. As in these two debates, he writes, the arguments were the same. Mr. Gulliver has thrown them into one to prevent unnecessary repetitions. Gentleman's Magazine In each house, during the winter of 1742-3, there was a debate on taking the Hanoverian troops into pay. The debate in the Lords was spread over five numbers of the magazine in the following summer and autumn. It was not till the spring of 1744 that the turn of the Commons came, and then they were treated somewhat scurvily. This debate, says the reporter who was Johnson, we thought it necessary to contract by the omission of those arguments which were fully discussed in the house of Hergos, and of those speakers who produced them, 
lest we should disgust our readers by tedious repetitions. Many of these debates have been reported somewhat briefly by Bishop, afterwards Archbishop, Secker. To follow his account requires an accurate knowledge of the times, whereas Johnson's rhetoric for the most part is easily understood even by one very ignorant of the history of the first two Georges. Much of it might have been spoken on almost any occasion for or against almost any minister. It is true that we here and there find such a correspondence between the two reports as shows that Johnson, as he has himself told us, was at times furnished with some information, but on the other hand we can no less clearly see that he was often drawing solely on his imagination. Frequently there is but the slightest agreement between the reports given by the two men of the same speeches. Of this a good instance is afforded by Lord Carteret's speech of February the 13th, 1741. According to Johnson, the Hergo Quadrat began in this manner. As the motion which I am about to make is of the highest importance and of the most extensive consequences, it cannot but meet with all the opposition which the prejudices of some and the interest of others can raise against it as it must have the whole force of ministerial influence to encounter without any assistance but from justice and reason, I hope to be excused by your lordships for spending some time in endeavouring to show that it wants no other support, that it is not founded upon doubtful suspicions, but upon uncontestable facts, and so on for eight more lines. Gentleman's Magazine. The bishop's note begins as follows. Carteret. I am glad to see the house so full. The honour of the nation is at stake, and the oldest man hath not known such circumstances as we are in. When storms rise you must see what pilots you have, and take methods to make the nation easy. I shall, one, go through the foreign transactions of several years, two, the domestic, three, prove that what I am about to propose is a parliamentary method. Parliamentary history. Still more striking is the difference in the two reports of a speech by Lord Talbot on May the 25th, 1742. According to the Gentleman's Magazine, the Hergo Toblat spoke to this effect. So high is my veneration for this great assembly that it is never without the utmost efforts of resolution that I can prevail upon myself to give my sentiments upon any question that is the subject of debate, however strong may be my conviction or however ardent my zeal. The bishop makes him say, I rise up only to give time to others to consider how they will carry on the debate. Parliamentary History on February the 14th, 1741, the same Lord, being called to order for saying that there were Lords who were influenced by a place, exclaimed, according to the Bishop, By the eternal G-blank-D, I will defend my cause everywhere. But Lords calling to order, he recollected himself and made an excuse. Parliamentary History In the Gentleman's Magazine, the Hergo Toblat resumed, 
my lords whether anything has escaped from me that deserves such severe animadversions your lordships must decide once at least in johnson's reports a speech is given to the wrong member in the debate on the gin bill on february the twenty second seventeen forty three gentleman's magazine though the bishop's notes show that he did not speak yet a long speech is put into his mouth it was the earl of sandwich who had spoken at this turn of the debate the editor of the parliamentary history without even notifying the change coolly transfers the speech from the decent secker footnote e'en in a bishop can i spy desert secker is decent rundle has a heart pope epistle satire two nine seventy end of footnote the decent secker who was afterwards primate to the grossly licentious earl a transference such as this is however but of little moment for the most part the speeches will be scarcely less lifelike if all on one side were assigned to some nameless whig and all on the other side to some nameless tory it is nevertheless true that here and there are to be found passages which no doubt really fell from the speaker in whose mouth they are put they mention some fact or contain some allusion which could not otherwise have been known by johnson even if we had not cave's word for it we might have inferred that now and then a member was himself his own reporter thus in the gentleman's magazine for february seventeen forty four we find the speech by sir john st alban that had appeared eight months earlier in the very same words in the london magazine that johnson copied a rival publication is most unlikely impossible i might say st alban i conjecture sent a copy of his speech to both editors in the gentleman's magazine for april seventeen forty three a speech by lord percival on december the tenth seventeen forty two is reported apparently at full length the debate itself was not published till the spring of seventeen forty four when the reader is referred for this speech to the back number in which it had already been inserted the london magazine generally gave the earlier report it was however twitted by its rival with its inaccuracy in one debate it was said it had introduced instead of twenty speakers but six and those in a very confused manner it had attributed to Sicilius, words remembered by the whole audience to be spoken by Marcus Agrippa. Gentleman's Magazine. The report of the debate of February the thirteenth, seventeen forty one, in the London Magazine, fills more than twenty two columns of the parliamentary history with a speech by Lord Bathurst. That he did speak is shown by Secker, Ibid. No mention of him is made however in the report in the gentleman's magazine but on the other hand it reports eleven speakers while the london magazine gives but five secker shows that there were nineteen though the london magazine was generally earlier in publishing the debates it does not therefore follow that johnson had seen the reports when he wrote his his may have been kept back 
by Cave's timidity for some months, even after they had been set up in type. In the staleness of the debate there was some safeguard against a parliamentary prosecution. Mr. Croker maintains, Croker's Boswell, page 44, that Johnson wrote the debates from the time, June 1738, that they assumed the Lilliputian title till 1744. In this he is certainly wrong. Even if we had not Johnson's own statement, from the style of the earlier debates we could have seen that they were not written by him. No doubt we come across numerous traces of his work, but this we should have expected. Boswell tells us that Guthrie's reports were sent to Johnson for revision. Nay, even a whole speech now and then may be from his hand. It is very likely that he wrote, for instance, the debate on buttons and buttonholes, and the debate on the registration of seamen. But it is absurd to attribute to him passages such as the following, which in certain numbers are plentiful enough, long after June 1738. There never was any measure pursued more consistent with and more consequential of the sense of this house. It gave us a handle of making such reprisals upon the Iberians as this crown found the sweets of. That was the only expression that the least shadow of fault was found with. Johnson told me himself, says Boswell, that he was the sole composer of the debates for those three years only, 1741, 2 and 3. He was not, however, precisely exact in his statement, which he mentioned from hasty recollection, for it is sufficiently evident that his composition of them began November the 19th, 1740, and ended February the 23rd, in square brackets, 22nd, 1742-3. Some difficulty is caused in following Boswell's statement by the length of time that often elapsed between the debate itself and its publication. The speeches that were spoken between November the 19th, or more strictly speaking, November the 25th, 1740, and February the 22nd, 1743, were in their publication, spread through the magazine from July 1741 to March 1744. On February the 13th, 1741, Lord Carteret in the House of Lords and Mr. Sands, the motion maker, footnote, so Smollett calls him in his History of England, end of footnote, in the House of Commons, moved an address to the king for the removal of Sir Robert Walpole. Johnson's report of the debate in the Lords was published in the magazine for the next July and August. The year went round. Walpole's ministry was overthrown, and Walpole himself was banished to the House of Lords. A second year went by. At length, in three of the spring numbers of 1743, the debate on Sands' motion was reported. It had been published in the London magazine eleven months earlier. Cave, if he was tardy, nevertheless was careful that his column should not want variety. 
thus in the number for july seventeen forty three we have the middle part of the debate in the lords of february the first seventeen forty three the end of the debate in the commons of march the ninth seventeen forty two and the beginning of another in the commons on the following march the twenty third from the number for july seventeen forty one to the number for march seventeen forty four johnson as i have already said was the sole composer of the debates the irregularity with which they were given at first sight seems strange but in it a certain method can be discovered the proceedings of a house of commons that had come to an end might as i have shown been freely published there had been a dissolution after the session which closed in april seventeen forty one the publication of the debates of the old parliament could at once begin and could go on freely from month to month all year round but they would not last for ever in seventeen forty two in the autumn recess the time when experience had shown that the resolution of the house could be broken with the least danger the debates of the new parliament were published they were continued even in the short session before christmas but the spring of seventeen forty three saw a cautious return to the reports of the old parliament the session closed on april the twenty first and in the may number the comparatively fresh debates began again in one case the report was not six months after date in the beginning of seventeen forty four this publication went on even in the session but it was confined to the proceedings of the previous winter the following table shows the order in which johnson's debates were published parliament was dissolved on april the twenty fifth seventeen forty one gentlemen's magazine july seventeen forty one debate or part of debate february the thirteenth seventeen forty one gentlemen's magazine august seventeen forty one debate february the thirteenth seventeen forty one gentlemen's magazine september seventeen forty one debate january the twenty seventh seventeen forty one and march the second seventeen forty one gentlemen's magazine october seventeen forty one debate march the second seventeen forty one november seventeen forty one march the second seventeen forty one the new parliament met on december the first gentlemen's magazine december seventeen forty one debate december the ninth seventeen forty gentlemen's magazine supplement to seventeen forty one december the second seventeen forty and december the twelfth seventeen forty gentlemen's magazine january seventeen forty two debate february the third seventeen forty one and february the twenty seventh seventeen forty one gentlemen's magazine february seventeen forty two debate january the twenty sixth seventeen forty one and april the thirteenth seventeen forty one march seventeen forty two february the twenty fourth seventeen forty one and april thirteenth seventeen forty one april seventeen forty two january the twenty seventh seventeen forty one and february the twenty fourth seventeen forty one may seventeen forty two november the twenty fifth seventeen forty june seventeen forty two november the twenty fifth seventeen forty and april the eighth seventeen forty one the session ended on july the fifteenth 
Gentleman's Magazine, July 1742, Debate, April 8, 1741. Gentleman's Magazine, August 1742, Debate, December 4, 1741. September 1742, December 4, 1741, and December 8, 1741. October 1742, December 8, 1741, and May 25, 1742. The session opened on November 16. Gentleman's Magazine, November 1742, Debate, May the 25th, 1742, December 1742, May the 25th, 1742, June the 1st, 1742, Supplement to 1742, December the 10th, 1740, and June the 1st, 1742. Gentleman's Magazine, January 1743, Debate, December the 10th, 1740, February 1743, February the 13th, 1741, March 1743, February the 13th, 1741. The session ended on April the 21st. Gentleman's Magazine, April 1743, debate February the 13th, 1741. Gentleman's Magazine, May 1743, debate March the 9th, 1742, and November the 16th, 1742. June 1743, March the ninth, seventeen forty two, and February the first, seventeen forty three, July seventeen forty three, March the ninth, seventeen forty two, and March the twenty third, seventeen forty two, and February the first, seventeen forty three, August seventeen forty three, February the first, seventeen forty three, September seventeen forty three, February the first, seventeen forty three, October seventeen forty three, February the first, seventeen forty three. November 1743, February 22nd, 1743. The session opened on December the 1st. Gentleman's Magazine, December 1743. Debate, February the 22nd, 1743. Supplement to 1743. February the 22nd, 1743. Gentleman's Magazine, January 1744. Debates, February the 22nd, 1743. February 1744. Debates December the tenth, seventeen forty two, and February twenty second, seventeen forty three. March seventeen forty four, December the tenth, seventeen forty two. During the rest of seventeen forty four, the debates were given in the old form, and in a style that is a close imitation of Johnson's. Most likely, they were composed by Hawkesworth. In seventeen forty five, they were fewer in number and in 1746 the reports of the Senate of Lilliputia, with its hergos and clinabs, passed away forever. They had begun to quote the words of the preface to the magazine for 1747, at a time when a determined spirit of opposition in the national assemblies communicated itself to almost every individual, multiplied and invigorated periodical papers, and rendered politics the chief, if not the only, object of curiosity. They are a monument to the greatness of Walpole and to the genius of Johnson. Had that statesman not been overthrown, the people would have called for these reports, even though Johnson had refused to write them. Had Johnson still remained the reporter, even though Walpole no longer swayed the Senate of the Lilliputians, the speeches of that tumultuous body would still have been read. 
for though they are not debates yet they have a vast vigour and a great fund of wisdom of their own end of appendix a